Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. I know that there's a lot of people out there who just cringe whenever President Trump takes to his Twitter account and and blame President Trump for, well, I don't know, kind of dumbing down the dialogue with some of his phrases and things like that. And and I'll be the first to concede. I I think there is an element to that. But let us not lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of that going on on the left as well. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I sent out two tweets over the course of the last 24 hours or so. The first involves a woman who is about to be elected to the state legislature out of Madison. I say about to be elected because she was the winner of a Democratic primary, and it's it's one of the most heavily Democratic districts in the state. She will be elected. Her name is Francesca Hong. All right? And, and I, I bring this up because, and again, I, I've got a link to the, the story. Um, she took to Twitter, a la President Trump, to send out a tweet expressing her dissatisfaction with members of the Tavern League of Wisconsin for successfully, as it turns out, at least thus far, suing the governor over his plan to essentially destroy businesses across the state by requiring them to only have 25% occupancy. So here's what she takes to Twitter. Now, keep in mind, this woman is in all likelihood going to be an elected state representative. She tweets... Please note that the corrupt, crooked, and then she uses a word that, you know, there's some words that have kind of worked their way into the national vocabulary. For example, the the F word is more commonly used, perhaps, than it certainly was when I was younger. And and, and you hear that, that term more and more, and you can argue about why that happened or whether it's a good thing or not. But this this is a word which starts with the letter C that nobody uses men don't use it women don't use it it's i think arguably arguably one of the two or three most offensive words that one can utter and she tweets this out please note that the corrupt crooked blank at the tavern league do not represent the interests of all bars and restaurants since march i have pleaded that we needed united messaging etc etc but but she decides to use that that word now this is somebody who is going to be elected. Can you imagine? She's running for office. This is what she says in a tweet when she is running for office. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when she is in office, that you have that complete and total lack of self-control or restraint or or good judgment or just common sense that that this, okay, we're we're just going to normalize this type of stuff, and especially this particular word, which is appropriate, it's offensive to everybody, but particularly to to females, so now you have a woman that is using this particular word, and and she's going to be elected to office. And then we have the other story. And if you want to link to the stories talking about this, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. It is the story of former or soon to be former Wauwatosa Alder person Heather Cool. Now, Heather Cool is a very, very left wing Alder person in, in Wauwatosa. She's been there, I think, for about two terms. She. She's one of the people that has, I, I think, 
she was one of the first people to jump on the Let's Fire Officer Joseph Mensa bandwagon. She made the news back in 2018 by volunteering to be a poll worker. That, that's fine. And then showing up wearing a, a T-shirt that, um, well, what, what it did, it had a caricature of President Trump. And it had a vulgar saying in in Spanish on it, an extremely vulgar saying in, in Spanish on it. And she's sitting at the polling place wearing this. I mean, again, th- this shows just a staggering lack of, of judgment. She has been a very, very outspoken, far left wing person on on the Common Council. And I, I think some people looked at some of the things she said and believed that that is really that that she helped encourage some of the violence that happened in Wauwatosa on the various protests that, you know, went on in in the spring. Whether that's the case or not, I I don't know. But but it's clearly she sort of she's very much clearly sided with the the protesters and things like that in connection with all this stuff. In in any event, she has now resigned from the Wauwatosa City Council. Um, nobody knows for sure what the motivating factor was. However, she was exposed by uh, she was exposed, um, I guess, last week. The fact that she apparently had this this separate there was this Twitter account. And if you look at the account, it was under the name of Beer Dude's Wife. And she was posting things under the name, apparently, of Vanilla Vixen. You can't make this stuff up at Beer Dude's Wife. And Vanilla Vixen, the, this, the, the account has subsequently been deactivated, but Vanilla Vixen, the, the picture that's associated with this, the person on there, presumably her, but the, the person on is Vanilla Vixen, is wearing a, a mask. And I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. If you ever saw the second two of the original Pirates of the Caribbean movies, there was that the bad guy was was a, was the Davy Jones character. And Davy Jones was like a squid. And, and they had like, like squid sort of tentacles coming out of the face. That's what the mask looks like that presumably she was wearing. This was this was her account. So whatever that that's the picture that is associated with the vanilla vixen. Somebody wearing this mask. Okay, that that's all well and good. And then you look at the content of what was posted, and I I think it is fair to say uh, that it's one obscenity laced tweet. After another, referring, well, talking about, you know, people in the city, talking about the president, talking about the legislature, um, just on and on and on um, in, in language that I think might even make Donald Trump blush if that is, in fact, possible. But it's just it's it's really bizarre and it's really out there. She's now been exposed. And as the Journal Sentinel says in its story about this, it says that they have um Confirmed from a source that that account, which has since been deleted, belonged to her. Now, interestingly enough, in her letter resigning, she says, I have been and always will be unapology, unapologetically authentic. I guess that's that's unapologetically authentic, except when you're posting on Twitter account on a separate on a Twitter account under the name of Vanilla Vixen and the character that's attached to it ha- has a somebody wearing a mask that looks like it came from the Pirates of the Caribbean movie or, or something else but nevertheless it's apolo- unapologetically authentic in any event she has stepped 
down. And again, we don't know for certain, you know, what the motivating factor was. But if you want a link to this, I sent out a link to the story. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And I guess my my note was simply Christmas has just come early for residents of Wauwatosa. Heather Cool stepping down after this Twitter account was disclosed. And again, she doesn't say that's why she's stepping down, but my guess is it's probably linked to that. They will now go about the process of selecting a new older person, regardless of how you cut it. Just good news, in my opinion, for the people of Wauwatosa. All right, when we come back, let's talk about the COVID-19 numbers and what's driving the spread. Stick around. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Doors and Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Discover the Pella difference at PellaWI.com. All right. The COVID-19 numbers are are not good. Matter of fact, we're, we're not the worst in the country as far as outbreaks, but we're, we're up there in the top five. And uh, the reports are... Let's see, um, more than a 1,000 coronavirus patients hospitalized. You've got that overflow facility at State Fair that is open. So far, at least as of this morning, no patients. But it, I, I'm not being critical of that. I think it, it's good to have that in case you end up needing it. The seven-day average of new cases, seven-day rolling average, and I, I think that's the best way to look at it as opposed to any one given day, but the seven-day rolling average 2,840 new cases. That is the the highest ever. Plus, I think it's probably going to get worse. This is just the reality of this because you have you have the cold and flu season that is starting. You know, uh, people are are being driven indoors. And so I think that makes it more likely that you're going to have the spread. Plus, it's just, you know, you've got those seasonal, you've got the seasonal illnesses that, that come about. So whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's the flu or a combination thereof, it's, it's looking like it's going to be tough over the course of the next, you know, 30 to 60 to 90 days. And by the way, that's not something that is unique to Wisconsin. I mean, if you read the national papers and the national feedback, I mean, one of the things that you see is that's 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 what's happening all over. Now, again, Wisconsin has it worse than some of the places, but it's especially in the northern two-thirds of the country, you're, you're starting to see more and more numbers increase. So the big question becomes, why is this going on? And I understand... One of the knee-jerk reactions is, okay, this is all political, and, and so let's let's blame Trump, or you know, because you know he didn't take this seriously enough at the beginning, and, and so you know people decided that they weren't going to wear masks or or whatever. So I understand that that's kind of the knee-jerk reaction, and maybe there is an element to that early on. So if we were looking at a spike in April or May. Okay, you know, maybe maybe you can say, okay, the the leaders of this country did not take that seriously enough. Now, I I don't know that you can make this argument to anybody that, you know, the COVID-19 numbers aren't, aren't increasing dramatically. And yet we still see, you know, people are going out, people are socializing, people are interacting. There was a story I was looking at on Channel 12 last night, and they were talking about they had they were uh, East Troy. 
there was apparently a uh, one of the, the local social um, organizations. I want to say it was the Lions Club. Uh, yeah, Lions Club holds a, a festival in, in a beer tent last weekend where they've got the live bands and things like that. And, and the place is packed and there's nobody that are wearing masks. Everybody's out there. Everybody's, everybody's partying. Now you don't know if that's going to be a super spreader event, but it really, it was on, it was in a tent, wasn't inside, wasn't a lot of social distancing. Now my guess is that everybody who attended that particular event knew that the recommendations were, hey, you're not supposed to get close to other people. They knew that when you're going to be close to other people, the recommendations are that you wear masks. And and yet, people didn't do it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a why question that I want to discuss with you. And that is, that is simply, why do you think the numbers are going up like they are? Because candidly, I think to say, oh, it's it's what Trump did in April or whatever that that's to blame that I think is simplistic, especially given the fact that I think we now all know, you know, what what the reality of this is. I think the bigger and better answer is that rightly or wrongly, I think people are just suffering what I'm going to call pandemic fatigue, that, that people have been tired of. I don't know, been, been tired of not socializing. They've been tired of not going out. And rightly or wrongly, they're just kind of making the decision that they're willing to take the chance and they want to end up living their lives. Now, you can argue that that is a dumb decision. You can argue that that is a decision that puts other people at risk. And, and that's all well and good. But I, I think that's the why. Why do you think the numbers are going through the roof like they are? Because, I mean, over the last couple months, we, we've we've all been told what we have to do. Um, you, you have mask mandates. You have all these different rules that have been put into place. And yet it seems the more rules we put into place, the more the numbers go up. 855-616-1620. Why do you think it's happening? I just think, rightly or wrongly, we're seeing pandemic fatigue kicking in. And I don't know what you do to change it, except try to get a vaccine pretty quickly. All right, we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I have a why question, which is right now, mid-October of 2020, the COVID numbers are going through the roof. Why is that? If you If you want to blame Trump, Early on, I, I understand that. Maybe you, you say he downplayed this. But, but right now, don't we all know what we're supposed to be doing? Don't we all know the various risks? And yet you have you know, the numbers at an all-time high in Wisconsin. I, I think it's just flat-out pandemic fatigue. Let's start with Peter. Peter and Delavan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Peter. Hi. I agree with you 100% about the fatigue, and I think the fatigue comes from the very beginning. When we started this, you know, there were 15 days to flatten the curve, and then it goes into 30 or 45, and then this, and then yeah. now we have a whole lot of days. Yeah. And I think people are fatigued because there's no end in sight. Yeah. I mean, you know, at first we told us 15 days, okay. 15. Well, it's going to be over pretty soon. Right. But now we don't know. 
Well, right, and, and then we're and, and again, I, I don't I don't want to get into the politics of like wearing masks and stuff, but we're told, okay, we're we're going to have these mask mandates, and, and that's going to solve the problem. And and then we put in these mask mandates, and admittedly, some people don't follow them, but it gets worse. You know, that the numbers go up after we've had the mask mandates, and I, I think people. I think people are frustrated by this and are just kind of throwing up their hands and saying, we don't know what it is to do. We want to live our lives. I totally agree with that. And it's just because we don't know, are we going to have to do this forever? Well, I think exactly. I mean, I guess, and that that is part of the frustration. I mean, here's a text. Jeff, as temperature lowers, cases increases. The South, who have relatively mild winters, will have less cases because events can be held outside. Wisconsin, not so much. Yeah, that, that, you know, we talked about this a few months ago. If you will recall, uh, a few months ago, the huge spikes were in California and in Florida and in Arizona, also places where you had mask mandates and things like that. They put in all these prevention measures, but still the numbers were going up. And, and why? Well, it's because in the summer in Arizona and in Florida and in Texas and, Cal- and California, it's really, really hot. And so people are driven inside into the air conditioning. Okay, once fall rolls around, more people do outside stuff. The flip side in Wisconsin and places like this is we're outside during the summer and then we start going inside. Okay, we're going to continue this conversation. Why are the numbers spiking? Because I think if we can figure out why, maybe that gives us a handle on, on what we can do if, in fact, there is anything to do. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Marcus on the north side. Marcus? Marcus. Yes. Hi, Marcus. Yes. Yes. What what do you think? How are you doing today? I'm good. Okay, Uh, why are these numbers going up? uh, Well, I think the numbers are going up because of this. People are just living their lives. I just think this, Jeff, I just think let's get to the point of this is that you cannot keep a population such as the United States. I'm just talking about us. You you cannot keep individuals in the house, and young people are going to live their lives. Remember, we were young. We were 19, 20 years of age. This virus, it's it's not the end of the earth. The people that have passed away from this, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to have misinformation, is there again, nursing homes, people there over 50 years of age, and underlying conditions. So I do not blame people who are asymptomatic, just like this year's coming up. Uh, majority of Americans, right, they get a cold every year. I get a cold, get a little sniffles. Does that mean I have COVID? I'm okay after a couple of days. Does that stop you from going to the gas station, uh, going to get something to eat? So people are tired, and that's why the numbers will go higher. It's called herd immunity, and this what needs to happen. And I do not blame America for just going out to live their lives at this point because this thing has no end date and it has nothing to do with Trump. It has no end date. Thank you. Well, th- thanks for the call, Marcus. You know, it's interesting. I have a couple of texts that are, are starting to kind of make the point that you were, were, or at least assert the point that you were just making, is that, you know, if you would have asked me two, two or three months ago, do you know anybody who's had COVID? And my answer would have been no, I, I, I don't. Now, I know a lot of people who have had COVID, and everybody I know has recovered. Now, look, I, I, I understand, by the way, we've had 1,500 people in Wisconsin, a little more, slightly more than 1,500 who, who've lost their lives. And it, it's not, 
It's not all people who were in the high risk category. Most are in the high risk category, but it's but it's not all. And so this is this is more serious than the flu. But I do think one of the things that that might be going on tying into the pandemic fatigue. And I'm not endorsing this. This is a discussion. It's a why is this going on? Is that I think as more and more people know people who had COVID and did not have bad responses. People who, you know, the, the people I know, and it, it's more than a half a dozen, um, and, and the reaction was all, it, it, it wasn't too bad. It was like a little bit of a cold, or one of my friends described it, said, oh, it's kind of like I've had worse hangovers. And, and I'm not minimizing it, but as more and more people know people who've had it, who've then recovered it, maybe it's we, we let our guard down because we say, well, okay, if all these people I know had it and recovered, well, maybe I don't need to worry about it a, as much. And I just I throw that out there as an idea. I'm not advocating stuff, and I don't want anybody to listen to this and say, oh, he, he's thinking that you shouldn't you know, socially distance or it's a good thing for everybody to get it. No, I don't want to get it. I don't want anybody to, to get it because I mean, we have a hundred, you know, we have what, like a thousand hospitalizations now that that's not a good thing. But I'm trying to explore the why of what's going on here. Let's talk to Mike in West Bend. Hi, Mike. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I hope this isn't too morbid or too heavy, but at the end of the day, this is how it's been for me at, from the very beginning of this and how I've lived my life, I think, for for the duration of my adulthood. Um, what is the meaning of life? Are, why, why are we here? You know, and are we promised one thing in this whole entire world? And can that one thing happen at any given time? It just seems like people are getting sick of this constant i don't want to say pressuring or bullying but that you know you're we're here for some reason that we can we can overcome death and i i just don't buy into that and i think people understand and are real about the reason that we're here yeah, and it's but, but, at the, but at the same time we don't want to go out of our way to to court irresponsible behavior i mean for you know if i if somebody had a really really contagious disease i i wouldn't go out and knowingly expose myself to that you know i i mean so how does that play and do we just not believe do people just not believe that 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 covid is that serious i guess well i you know i think at the end of the day it's if you believe in science or in the higher power whatever that might be at the end of the day, you are if you are realistic about your opportunity to be here, you are also realistic about the opportunity for you not to be here. Yeah. And that at the end of the day is is why I think some people are just going with the flow and whatever happens happens and mm-hmm. and that's where it's gonna end up. Well no, th- I think so. I mean I look I, I it's kind of a fatalistic view of stuff. And I mean I, and I do think there are people out there who are determined to, to live live their lives nobody wants to get sick and i guess it's all this thing that we've been talking about for months and months is how do you balance all this out the, the idea that we've got to we've got to figure out a way to to live with this because i agree with one of our first callers too i mean i don't think covid is going anywhere anytime soon now you, you know we can flatten the curve hopefully once there's a, a vaccination enough people will get it so we can protect particularly among those people who are the most vulnerable but i mean my my guess is this is going to be with us for a long time it's like when i hear some people say oh we, we should close the schools until 
until there's no more cases of COVID. Well, I, I don't know that there's going to be no more cases of COVID in, in my lifetime. So it, it's all about like balancing things out. But my question is, is why are the numbers spiking? Ted in Bensonville. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Okay. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Ted. Thanks for asking. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Here is my opinion as I'm watching the people is I think people are rationalizing. We are a society that is uh, alcohol alcohol in public setting dependent. When people say people got to live their lives, they mean they got to get back out there, get an alcohol buzz on at whatever they do, whether it be a concert, golfing, blah, 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 whatever it is, every activity seems to be a side piece for drinking. And when you drink, you get loud, you, you start talking louder, you know, shooting your, what do you call them, the particles at each other, uh, droplets, uh, you're close together, you're mingling without thinking uh, so much beforehand. So I'm going to tell you, we have a society that is too predominantly dependent on alcohol in public settings, and we don't have the overall discipline to stop doing it, even if it means the spread of COVID. So you attribute you attri- rationalizations. Right, so you you attribute a lot yeah, of this right, to yeah. the to to our, our our drinking culture, and you think that's where a lot of the spreading is occurring. You know, people go out; they they want to socialize. You're at the you're in the beer tent with 250 of your closest friends, and everybody's drinking and hugging, and that yeah. that's what contributes to it. Yeah, yeah. You're at the bar. You're at the football game. You're at whatever. Hey, Jeff. Even for the fancy people, you're at a art gallery. You know, you still want to get there and you want to have a wine and you want to be mingling with people and discussing it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what it is. You know, so when people say we want to live our lives, to me, that's the kind of life they're talking about. And that is a not uh, friendly COVID inviting kind of life. Well, no, that's thing- what was killing us when, when it. No, I'm sorry. Well, no, I no, I mean, I, I understand. I guess I, I don't know. May, maybe that's the case. If you know that it would be nice if we could empirically trace that you know this is and that's why i by the way i think contact tracing is so important if we want to say okay look this 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 is the this is the this is why we need to close down bars for example because you know we've traced x amount of cases to the bars i'm I, what, what you're saying, I understand the, the rationale behind it. I'm not positive that that's necessarily it. Is is that any different than the college kids that are that are going back and are socializing in the large groups and are getting sick and then are are, are spreading it? Um, you you look at the city of Milwaukee where they now have the bars and restaurants that are open, and in the city of Milwaukee, the the numbers are are not increasing dramatically, showing that at least some people can do that in a responsible sort of fashion. Let's talk. To to Don in Kiel. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Why do you think it's happening? Um, yeah, I, I, again, the city of Milwaukee, I think, has done a nice job. Everybody's wearing their mask there. But if you look at where the cases are going up, central part of the state, and up towards Green Bay, Shano, and things like that, as my kids who live in the Chicagoland area, when they come up, they call it the Wild West up here. Nobody's wearing their masks. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one quick story. I went to an automotive store, which I will keep nameless, and the three people behind the counter get great customer service, first of all. But nobody had a mask on. There were six customers in the store. I had a mask on. Nobody else did. I looked at the people, Kelton, and I said, why aren't you wearing a mask? If you wear a mask, I wear a mask. 
there is only a 3% chance that that's going to spread. 97% of chance it's not. That's, it's it's simple as that. Milwaukee, you have to give a lot of credit. Everybody's wearing masks in Milwaukee. But when you go out through the rest of the state, it's not happening. And why do you it think that isn't. is? Why, why do you think that is? Well, I have my own personal political beliefs. Okay. And I don't want to go down that road here. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, thanks. For, I mean, I, I guess I and see, and I and I, I understand that there are there are some people who who see this all, and that that's how we started this off in the okay. Let, let's blame Trump and let's blame his his inaction and and I think that there's an I, I can see that there's an element. Maybe you can make an element to that argument early on, but it, at this point. In time, I think, you know, we, we know what the science is. Now, I go back to what I said earlier. I, I really think I, I don't have I don't have a good answer for this, by the way, because I, I don't want to get sick. I don't want you to get sick, I, because even though, like I say, most of everybody I know that's had it ha, has has gotten better. But I, I don't want to be one of those fifteen hundred. I don't want, you know, people close to me to be one of those fifteen hundred. You don't want that. You know, we, we don't want people to die of, of this, which is why I, I think. You know, the priority has to be in trying to identify those people who are statistically most vulnerable and do everything we possibly can to protect them. Keep this out of the nursing homes, you know, those sort of situations. But at the same time, I I do think the reality of this, it's and I don't have a good answer for how you get over it. The reality of this, I, I think, is is just pandemic fatigue that's out there. And the more. What makes this difficult for government, it's why I don't think shutdowns work, is because people just just don't do it. I think people have kind of tuned out to the whole idea of, of shutdowns, which is why – and you, you can argue it's, – it's what – you can argue, okay, we should close down the country. Okay, I, I understand that argument. But I just don't think people are willing to do it. And you can call people selfish or, or whatever. Other people would say, no, we just want to live our lives. I, I think as we try to move forward to this, it, it's we got to recognize that the forced shutdowns aren't working because just people aren't on board with this at this point in time. And, you know, you I mean, a, a leader who gets too far ahead of the the people he's leading is just some guy wandering around in the wilderness talking to himself. It's why one of the things that I think we need to be doing moving forward is to put more emphasis, more money, more resources, and actually this is kind of a little bit of what Joe Biden's plan is, into the contact tracing and into the testing and trying to identify people early on who might be spreaders and then get them into quarantines and figure out figure out that so you stop the spread that way. Because candidly, I just don't think people are on board anymore with the idea of here we're going to be able to shut down our, we're going to be able to close our way out of this virus. I, I just don't see that happening. And I, I admit that there are challenges to this, and it, I wish I had a good answer to it, but it is kind of frustrating to me, and I, I think it's going to get worse, candidly, before it gets better as the cold and flu season kicks on and as we're going more and more to these inside things. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hundreds of texts. Very interesting. Jeff. Herd immunization is coming. My wife and I both practice all the social distancing. We wear masks, etc. She was sick, but after losing taste and smell, got tested positive. I had no symptoms at all, but since she tested positive, I got tested, and I was positive as well. We are both currently out of isolation. People are going to start treating this as a bad flu or cold. I believe herd immunization is coming. Um, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Jeff, I think it's just an unknown as to how people are getting it. It would be nice to hear from scientists and doctors uh, to if contracted now more easily through surfaces. My mother and my stepfather both have it right now. They don't go to bars. They haven't been going to restaurants. They strictly go to work. And if they go to the grocery store, they wear their masks at all of these locations and they still got it. They, they got it. They don't socialize much outside their work um, environment. So how can that be explained? Um, who knows? Um, let's see. A um, couple people say, well, we they see a connection between the alcohol consumption in the state and, and this. Um, Jeff, why are not everyone wearing masks? It's not enforced and there's no teeth in the order. Um, Jeff, what I take this is happening is is spiky use because they are not keeping track of the regular flu, putting it together with coronavirus. Um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, you, you've got that whole thing that's in there. Um, and again, the texts. Um, Lou Holtz said, don't keep me from living to keep me alive. I think a lot of people agree with him. That might lead to getting careless for some people. Well, I, I think there is, you know, an element, there is an element to that, that people are just making that decision that's out there. I guess there, here, here's the thing. Here, I mean, here, here is the thing. We're going to have to figure out how to live with this, and I, I firmly believe that, because hopefully the, the numbers can go down. Hopefully we can concentrate our resources on trying to keep those who are most vulnerable, try to keep them fr- from getting exposed to this, because that's... I mean, that's the key. You want to try to reduce the hospitalizations. That was the whole purpose of let's flatten the curve, flatten the curve. And, and of course, you want to try to reduce the, the deaths. And I appreciate that, you know, anybody, any age can end up in the hospital. Anybody, any age can end up dead as a result of this. But statistically, we, we know who the most vulnerable are, and we can at least pay attention to that. So I think that's where the priority needs to be. But I appreciate the frustration that's out there because, you know, know, we've, we've had the mask mandates and either they're not being followed or they're not working or some combination there too. You know, we, we've tried the capacity shutdowns. I just, I don't believe the people of Wisconsin. I don't believe the people of this country. I don't believe the people of the world are, are willing to put up with that. I mean, I read a lot of stories from, from European countries and, you know, they, they tried the harsh lockdowns and they're seeing spikes as well. And, and again, by the way, for for people who want to think that this is an exclusively Wisconsin problem, it, it it's not. I mean, just pick up the New York Times, pick up the Wall Street Journal, and, and you'll see that, that Europe, pretty much all of Europe, is going through the, the same thing. The, the numbers are returning. It was predicted that the numbers were going to return as the weather got colder and more people got inside. But at the same time, I think governments are recognizing that people just aren't going to, they're not going to put up with the shutdowns. They're not going to put up with destroying the economy. And again, I understand some people will say, well, you know, what's more important, the economy or lives? And the truth is, they're, they're both important, which is why you have to have the balancing. All right. When we come back, an interesting poll out. Another question I want to discuss with you, and your answer may depend on how quickly we get through this pandemic. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So Eric Bilstadt. 
based on something you were talking about in the news. Would you like to make a prediction on the radio? Would you like to go on record and make <laughs> Ooh, a prediction? Okay, yeah. All yeah. right, so here, here's the deal. Your lead news story. Tonight, dueling town halls. Mm-hmm. President Trump doing a town hall on NBC. Joe Biden doing a town hall on ABC. Which one of those events is going to draw the biggest ratings? Of the two, I would say the president. Okay, why? Uh, unpredictable. I don't know what he might say or do. So just more inter- more interesting television. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree completely. And I, we'll, we'll, we'll know in the next day or two. I don't even think it's going to be close. Because here, and, and you know, you, you don't have to go down this route. Okay, George Stephanopoulos, okay, former chief of staff to Bill Clinton. He's the moderator of the Biden debate. Okay, in the, the Biden town hall. I mean, you know what this is going to be like. Um, Mr. Vice President, we, uh, we, we just... We despise Donald Trump. Can you tell us which of the many reasons why we despise him that you will despise him? Oh, yes, I agree. You, you know, you know, it is going to be insufferable. The last one they had was insufferable as well. Whereas on the other hand, the Trump thing, you're exactly right. It's going to be unpredictable. You know very well that the crowd is going to be much more hostile to President Trump than the crowd with, with Biden is. You just know that that's going to happen if history is any indicator. So you've got that. You've got President Trump who, is, of course, is always the wild card. So I think what's going to happen is all the Trump supporters that are going to watch this, they're going to watch Trump. And then I, my guess is half the Biden supporters, you know, they've already decided they're going to vote for Biden. They don't need, they're going to watch Trump. Watch Trump. <laughs> right, exactly. They're going to watch this because it's like, yeah, stick it to them. You know, that that's it. I mean, if you know, after about 10 minutes, like I say, of George Stephanopoulos telling Joe Biden what a great guy he is, you know, you're gonna, you want you want to see the you want to see the tension. Well, the interesting to point out is that both of these candidates have done town halls on the other networks. So like Biden right. has been on NBC and, and Trump on, on ABC. And if I read the, I think I saw the number right, that the Trump ABC town hall brought in like three and a half million viewers, which is nothing. Right. So you would anticipate, yes, I, I think more will watch Trump, but I don't know if many people want to watch either oh, <laughs> of these I, town halls. No, no, you know, I, I heard the guy from the Pointer Institute Institute talking, and I, I, I think he's kind of right. There are there are almost no undecided voters right now. I mean, I, I there I don't I, let me say this. I think there are almost no undecided voters who are actually going to go out and vote. You know, by by that I mean I mean there, there's some people who oh I don't know I don't care whatever, but they're not going to be the ones that vote. I mean, the people who are actually going to request the absentee ballot or do the in person absentee or show up on election day, I don't think there's that many out there anymore that are that are undecided. I just think from a theater perspective tonight, the, the Trump thing has oh, the potential to be much more interesting. Because sure. my guess is the town hall, the people they pick will be much more hostile to the president than the town hall that they picked with, with Biden. You know, um, and it is interesting that, um, you know, one of the understories about this is people at NBC are extremely upset with the network for for doing this, for number one, giving Trump the exposure, and number two, then putting it up against Biden. It, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, why why are we doing all this? You should do it before or after. There are some who have said that, that they shouldn't just be on at the exact same time. Right, or some are saying, why, why are we, I mean, some of the stuff I was watching, some of the personnel, oh, why are we even bothering doing this at all? Why would we give Trump that exposure? But I, I agree with you. If I was a betting guy, and I am a betting guy, um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think... I, I think the and, and and again I think the Trump ratings are going to just just dwarf what they get on ABC. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now that's not an indicator again of the election. Like I say, it's sort of like 
Um, a lot of times when, when people listen to radio hosts, it's you, you've got two segments. You've got people that love the radio host. Gee, I can't wait to hear what he or she says. Uh, and so I listen all the time. And then you've got people who hate the radio host, but they listen <laughs> yeah. because I can't wait to see what that person says. Yes. You know, and it, it, it makes me angry even more. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm screaming at the radio. That I, Trump is going to attract that. That's just no, kind of the bottom absolutely. line. Sure. I think. Well, we'll. Yeah. All right. I appreciate you playing along. We will. We will know tomorrow or the next day once the numbers come in. But I, I don't know how big the number is going to be. How many people are actually going to watch it? But I do think there's going to be more that watch Trump than watch Biden. Okay, let's let's double back to something we were talking about in the last hour. We we're having a conversation, a, a why conversation about the numbers going up. As I have been saying since the start of this pandemic, I, I think the the prevention methods that people talk about, the wearing masks, the social distancing, the washing their hands, I, I think that that's all well and good. And, and I think people should be doing that. But at the same time, that that's not an answer to this. I mean, COVID is going to be with us. And we, I was reading texts from people who who you know knew people who did all those things, and, and they still ended up getting it. Um, it it's a virus. It's an airborne virus. It, it's out there, and as long as it is in the general population, people are going to get it. So we're going to be living with this for I, I think quite a while. The question is, how do you bring it under control? One of the ways you bring this under control is you get a vaccine and and people get immunized for it. Now, look, I, I understand just like the flu. I, I got the flu shot last year. I got the flu. All right. But at the same time, I, it was it was much milder than I think it would have been if I hadn't had the flu shot. I'm going to I haven't gotten my flu shot this year, uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, in the very near future, get it. All right. COVID-19, there is a push to have a vaccine. Mike Pence was saying yesterday that he thinks that they may have a vaccine by the end of the year. Other people are saying maybe it's going to be the first quarter, maybe it's going to be the second quarter. But hopefully, sooner rather than later, we are, in fact, going to have a vaccine. The question then becomes, what are people going to do with that? There's a story in the the Wall Street Journal. Here's the deal today. About 70% of voters, they were doing a, a, a poll of on other things, about 70% of registered voters said they would take a COVID-19 vaccine, but many want to wait until it has been available for a while to see if there are major problems or side effects. Survey found that 20%, that is one in five, Respondents said they would take a vaccine as soon as one becomes available. About 50% said they were open to getting the vaccine, but they wanted, they would wait until they learned more about, more information about it. And then you have another 27% who said, you know, we're, we're not going to get, we're not going to get vaccinated. So one out of five say, yeah, we'll, we'll get one as soon as it's available. Other people say they're going to wait. Now, I don't know what that means. Does it mean they're going to wait three months? Does it mean they're going to wait six months? Does it mean they're going to wait a year? What exactly does that all entail? But the truth of the matter is, until you get an effective vaccine and until large numbers of people become vaccinated, you're, you know, COVID's not going anywhere. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question to you. Will you be one of that 20%? Does that strike you as low? When a vaccine is announced, FDA comes out and says, hey, we've got this vaccine. 
you know, we've been doing this in a hurry-up process, but we've tested it. We believe it is safe. We believe it is effective. They roll it out in January. Are you going to get it? And do you think that 20% number is low, high, whatever? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Are you in the category of I'm never going to get it? Or, well, I, I want to wait. And if you're going to wait, how long are you prepared to wait? 855-616-1620. Um, for me, I, again, I, I, I go with my doc. My, if my doctor says, look, I think, Jeff, this is safe. I, I think it's effective. You don't have an adverse reaction to, you know, vaccines and things like that. My doc says do it. I'm going to follow his advice. Might be stupid, but I'm going to follow his advice. He tells me to wait. I'm going to wait. My guess is he's going to say, as soon as you can get one, get one. How about you? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, this is a very real question, and part of the answer to you know what what is the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to COVID is when a vaccine is developed. How many people are willing to try it? Wall Street Journal poll today says about only one out of five people say that they're they're willing to get it when it first becomes available. Vast majority of people, about another fifty percent, say, "Well, we're not adverse to getting it, but we we want to we want to wait a while." And and what waiting a while means, I don't know. How about you? When that vaccine is ready, are you going to get it? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Chuck in Manitowoc. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi Jeff. How are you? Real well, thank you. Uh, I'm looking at it as. I read a couple articles where it can take 10 to 12 years to develop a good vaccine. I think they're rushing it too fast. And I would, I would take it, but I would have to wait six to eight months to find out if there was any serious side effects to it. Mm-hmm. I just think they've, they've cut human testing down way too much on it. Okay. So let's, let's say they roll one out. Eh, sometime next spring, you're probably not going to be signing up to get it until until maybe 2022. Then, correct. Okay, and during that that time, over the course of that that next year, um, can, continue to wh- how how are you going to behave? Are, are you going to be willing to go out and be around large groups or not? Or are you going to continue kind of like the, the I, status quo? I'll keep it just what I'm doing now. I don't go to large gatherings to begin with. Uh, I'm disabled and low income. So I don't hit a lot of the the concerts and festivals and stuff like that. I have a close group of people I hang around with. If we do go out to a restaurant or something, it's we get a big table. You know, it's just doing basically what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And, you know, knock on wood, I haven't gotten it. I haven't had the flu in 30 years. And if I get it, I get it, I guess. But Okay, uh, you're, you're going to wait you're, and see. It. Got it. No, thanks. I, I I appreciate it. And look, and it's we're not going to be in a situation where Joe Biden, Donald Trump, regardless who's the president, I, I don't. You're not going to see national mandates. Now you might see 
employers who come out with mandates saying, hey, if you want to work at this particular place, you know, we want you to get the vaccination. But I I can't imagine a situation where the, the government is going to say, you know, people have to be vaccinated, at least adults have to be vaccinated. Schools, you know, that's probably going to be on a state-by-state basis with regard to kids. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Jeff, my wife and I both work in healthcare. It will be mandatory for us when the vaccine is approved. Yeah, I mean, just like... People in healthcare now, you got to take the flu shot. Jeff, there is no way um, I will take a vaccine. Jeff, this is why you can't shut things down. One in five? Are you kidding? What is the age group of that one in five? If it's only twenty, if only twenty percent of us get the vaccine when it's approved, why bother? Herd immunity is a better path. All should get it in the first. Everybody should get the vaccine in the first twelve months. When it is available. Um, okay, Jeff, I will only get the vaccine until everyone who is vulnerable and willing has got it. Young people like myself will survive the infection and get the antibodies. The older and vulnerable population needs a vaccine to get antibodies because natural immunity is too dangerous for them. That is going to be the one interesting thing that comes out when they roll this out because my, my guess is there is going to be a priority. And my guess is that the first groups of people who who at least have the vaccine offered to them are going to be the people, you know, over 50 or over 60 or over 70 or, you know, in other vulnerable situations. Jeff, I will wait three to six months after the COVID vaccine, after the first vaccine is released, before I take it. There are always a few bugs when something new becomes available um well you've got that there that's well jeff i think the 20 percent is about right i would absolutely wait six months i would possibly not get it at all um jeff i already had covid i do not get the flu shot but would get the covid shot asap just because covid upends your life so very badly um well you've got that jeff my next door neighbor is a doctor uh, if both my neighbor and my physician say it's good, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm sort of in that category, too. Like I said, that's – I understand the concerns that people have about vaccines, and I understand the, the concern that we have about, gee, are, are we rushing this through? Because keep in mind, what were we talking about? The, 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 the quickest – vaccine that I think was developed, you know, for, for going back into the into the 40s or 50s, it took four or five years. You know, we're now talking about a, a much quicker timetable for that. You know, nevertheless, I, I want to get back to normal. And I don't want to expose myself to unreasonable risk, but I want to get back to normal. And I guess that's why, like I say, my, my doctor says, look, I, I think this is a safe thing for you to do. I'm going to trust the doc. Now, if that means I'm making a dumb decision, okay, well, so what? I've made a dumb decision. But um, I, I listen to what I do, what my doctor tells me to do almost all the time. And I think that's the way that I'm going to play this one out as well. Um, if only 20% get the vaccine, though, it keeps us a long way away from that herd immunity that we need. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> You know, there is another interesting story that's out there with regard to the development of the vaccine. One of the things, to to get an effective vaccine, what you have to do is is you have to have people who who volunteer to be the subjects for the experiments and stuff and and the focus of the test groups. You need to have people from all different ages 
all different um, ethnic groups, for example? I mean, you you know, because the, the truth of the matter is a vaccine might interact differently with a 20-year-old male than it does with a 70-year-old female. Um, it, it might interact differently with a 65-year-old white guy than it does with a 45-year-old uh, black man. Uh, all those different things. And one of the things that they're having trouble finding is is volunteers in, in some of for example, in some of the groups, there's a story I'm looking at uh, from a day or two ago in the New York Times, and, and the headline is, I won't be used as a guinea pig for white people. And it's a story about how these um, some of these researchers are, are struggling, for example, because they're trying to find um they're, they're trying to find, for example, blacks who will, will volunteer to participate, you know, in, in some of these trials. And they're having trouble. Uh, they're they're trying to convince um, some folks that are in their 60s to come and volunteer for this because, again, you, you need this diverse group. But you have some people who are, um, I don't know, more skeptical of this, less trusting, et cetera, et cetera, or just flat out not wanting to participate. And so that's one of the challenges as well. It's candidly one of the reasons why I think some of these early predictions of of getting the vaccine and, and getting it to market, as it were, I, I think some of them are optimistic. Because I think some of these focus, they're having trouble finding enough people from the different, all the different demographic groups that you need before you can come out with a vaccine and say it's safe. Because like I say, something that you, you, you might have no problems finding 23-year-olds who are willing to be tested. But you need those 70 and 75 year olds as much, maybe even need them more because most of the shots, at least at first, are going to go to the people in the vulnerable category. So it is a challenge. Like I say, as soon as one comes out, my doctor says, do it. I'm going to. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, there, there's an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal, and I, I sent it out. I, when, when I'm out and about, people ask me about the election, and I'm not sure they really want to hear what I think about the upcoming election, but they want to tell me what they think about the upcoming election, and, and that's all well and good. Uh, but, you know, it, it is interesting. There's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today that a- actually captures – one of the things I, I always say, I've said it on the air and I, I say it come to me in real life as well. Um, imagine what the upcoming election would look like if it were not for COVID-19. I, I think, uh, and, and there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, I, I just tweeted it out. And it, it, it's, it's so interesting to me because when, when they look back and they, they write the history on, on this election, you know, when we do the making of the president, you know, 2020, I, I know there's going to be a, a lot of conversation about, you know, the, the, the chaos over the last four years and the, the polarization and things like that. But but to me, the key thing is now and, and will be it, it, it's all COVID-19 people, people typically vote their pocketbook. Remember back in the Bill Clinton years that the slogan was it's the economy, stupid. Which, you know, at the end of the day, if if you're doing if you feel comfortable about your 
your situation. You know, you, you feel secure in your job. You've got some money in the bank. You know, you're, you're not worried that you're going to lose your house and all those things. You tend to, whether it's Republican or Democrat, you, you tend to support the party in power. Hey, things are going pretty well economically. Now, I understand that there, there's people who don't, don't just vote on the economy, but in general, times of, of prosperity, benefits the incumbent and the piece that the in the wall street journal today really talks and and it's i I couldn't agree with it more it talks about how during the last four years there have been really two economies for donald trump now don't argue i mean i understand people will say well you know trump trump took over the obama economy you know okay I i don't even go there but the bottom line is you know from the time donald trump took over in january of 2017 through until march the economy had reached historic milestones for jobs, for income, and for, for stock prices. And the Wall Street Journal makes the point that I, I don't know, it's debatable whether or not, as the president claims, this is the best economy ever. But it, it was, uh, without a doubt, it was a pretty darn good economy, and it was getting better and better for millions of Americans. So that's, that's the first three years. Then you have COVID-19. And, you know, since COVID-19, I don't think there's any question the economy has been historically bad. Unemployment. I mean, you know, you look at some of those initial unemployment numbers, you, you have got to go down to the immediate aftermath of, of the depression. Now, the numbers came back, but they're still nowhere near where they wanted to be. You know, people lost jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And we're looking at all this uncertainty. So, if you want to talk about a defining thing, and I really commend this this story to you, check it out again. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But it really, I think, makes this point that I've been trying to say as well. I, I just, it would be interesting to have envisioned what this election season would have looked like were it not for COVID nineteen. Because with COVID nineteen, you've got two things that are going on. First of all, you've got the president's handling of the pandemic. And I think if you believe the polls, and I know some of you don't, but if you believe the polls, that the president's handling of the pandemic has not gotten high marks. On the other hand, you have the economy, and that was the strongest thing that the president had going for him. But COVID-19, the pandemic, has caused the economy to crater as well. So that's a pretty big headwind that's there, really two different economies. And again, when we write the history of 2020, I, I think... That's what you're going to be looking at. What would it have been like? What would have our discussions been in October of 2020 were it not for COVID-19? And I guess none of us will have the answer, but I think the electoral map, candidly, would have looked a lot uh, a lot different than it does now. Okay. All right. One of the things that government did when when COVID hit is recognizing that the bottom fell out for many, many, many millions of Americans, people who, who thought they were secure in their jobs, suddenly the, the jo- they've, they've lost their jobs. And you, you don't know where the, the, rev- the money is going to come from. And here in Wisconsin, it was just so totally screwed up that we couldn't get unemployment checks to people who, who needed it in a timely fashion. I know there's still a large number of people who still don't have their unemployment checks and who aren't going to get them for months, which is an absolute outrage. But in the effort to try to get money to people, we we took a lot of shortcuts. And, you know, for example, that $1,200 stimulus check, it went to people who needed it, 
but it, it went to a lot of people who who really didn't need it because it was based not on your on your assets. It was based on gee, you know, what was what was the bottom line on your last year's tax return? So you could have people that I don't know might be sitting on a couple million dollars in assets, but you know their their adjusted gross income wasn't that great. You know, they got the money. And they, as a matter of fact, I know some people like that. And, you know, I thank you, government. We're, we're going to give you the money. But I understand. The reason why we did that is we were in a rush to try to get the money to everybody. And if you had to winnow out who might not really, really need it or really qualify for it or really deserve it, it would have taken too much time. Same thing was true with regard to unemployment, uh, unemployment payments. People... In the effort to try to get money to people as soon as possible, we we erred as a general rule on the side of getting the money to people. Story in the Wall Street Journal points out that um, they are now starting to find that in many, many cases, the unemployment payments that were made to individuals were more money than they were entitled to, that they really you know, did not deserve. And so, or at least weren't entitled to. And so now the question becomes, what, what happens? So let's say that you, I don't know, you were getting $750 a week in unemployment benefits. And now it turns, and that's including the, the federal unemployment benefits, and now it turns out that you shouldn't have been getting 750 bucks. You should have only been getting in my example, fill in the blank for whatever the difference is going to be. In many situations, the states are now faced with this question of, should we try to go back to the people who were overpaid and get the money back from them? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If people were overpaid through no fault of their own. Now, obviously, it's a situation where somebody was trying to defraud the state or defraud the federal government. I, I think that's a clear-cut case. You were trying to defraud somebody. You were putting in claims that you knew were false. Well, no, you don't have an entitlement to that money, and it should be taken back. The more difficult situation is you don't know how much money you're supposed to get. You know, you don't know that your check is supposed to be $705 instead of $850. You just say, hey, this is the money. It, it, this is what's appearing in my bank. Should you have to pay the dough back? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is yes, but with an asterisk. I will explain. But what do you think? If people have been overpaid, should they have to pay that money back? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so let's put this in its simplest form. Let's say you have somebody loses their job, starts collecting unemployment benefits. They're getting that $600 supplement check. And turns out two months, three months after getting 600 bucks a week, so four weeks, you're talking 2,400. Eight weeks, you're talking 4,800. Well, let's use that number. So you've got that. Turns out, let's say it's determined that you weren't entitled to that money. Not that you committed fraud. It's just in the in the rush to try to get money to people who need it, they, they make a mistake. Government makes a mistake. They've sent you that $4,800 that you are not entitled to. All right? All right. Should you have to pay that back? 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's a couple texts before we go to the phones. Jeff, no way should people have to pay that money back. Most Americans had that stimulus check and unemployment check already spent before they ever received it. If Americans were made to pay any overage back, it would cause a huge financial hardship. Um, Jeff, I feel very strongly about this. It should be paid back. Five years ago, my husband lost his job through no fault of his own, and we had to find a way without making more than $420 a week. People need to figure out how to make ends meet on their own, not relying on big government. Jeff, did all the big corporations return the funds they received? Well, I mean, I guess that would be the question. If you determine that that, um, a corporation had gotten PPP funds that they weren't entitled to, I mean, would we expect them to pay it back? I guess my answer to that would be, yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, only if the government paid everybody back any every penny for their Social Security if they take that away. Uh, Jeff, I'm tired of liberals that don't work collecting money. Um, I've been working 60 hours a week, and I didn't get my fair share. All right. Jeff, um, any overpayment is gone. It's spent Forget it. You'll never get it back. Jeff, I think that if anyone is paying taxes, they have a right to get that money as well as anyone else they pay taxes for. Um, so I assume what the person is saying is, yeah, you, you got to look out for the taxpayers. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, my answer was yes, but I, I think, you know, if you're not entitled to the money, I think at some point in time you have to be made to pay it back. Um, you're, you're not entitled to it. And I think from the perspective of the other taxpayers, you have to protect that. My asterisk is, look, I, I, I wouldn't impose penalties on, on people. I wouldn't hit people's checking accounts right now to take that back. But I, I would say, hey, you owe this money, and then start to look at collection things. Let's talk to Gianni in Montello. You're in WTMJ. Oh, yeah, Jeff. Interesting question. Hey, quite candidly, um, yes. Th- th- I mean, obviously, if they were overpaid, they, they should pay that back uh, based on the statutes of the, the unemployment uh, compensation. But but the, the question that also uh, exists is how did it get paid out in the first place? You know, what, what sort of dysfunctional treasury do we have going on, um, state or, or federal otherwise, that, that would pay it out when it's not, um, you know, it's it's not um, viable. Well, but I think the you know, thing was, I mean, in, look, I, there there was incredible pressure. Once once the bottom fell out of the the employment world, and all these people started losing their jobs, I, I think collectively that the feds and to an extent the state, although the state was pretty screwed up with their unemployment payments, just rushed in and said, okay, look, we got to process these things. We got to get money in people's hands. And I think in in the rush to do that. There, there probably wasn't as much scrutiny in some cases as there should have been. Now, I guess we could fault that, but it was an extraordinary time. It, it was indeed. It was indeed, Jeff. So, but yes, I mean, if you're overpaid, hey, look, I, I haven't received a paycheck in 16 years. I'm, I'm a care, round-the-clock caregiver for my my parents, so I, I'm not getting anything other than a subsidy through Badger Care for my insurance. Mm-hmm. So, if you're getting unemployment, uh, you're probably lucky because there are a lot of there are a lot of caregivers out there that get get very little. You know, yeah. if I get $500 a month in subsidies, I'm doing good. And, uh, you know, we, we live on $22 a day. So, right. yeah. Um, but, Johnny, thanks yeah. for calling. I appreciate it. And I, I guess, I see, 
it, the, the thing that is, that is, and I understand, the, the, the argument you can make about why this sort of stuff is unfair is you say, well, you, you, didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. But, I mean, we, we do have precedent for that. I mean, I've, I've, I've told the story before, but, but not for a while. Years and years ago, do our taxes, send off the taxes and, you know, for, for whatever the numbers are. I, I, one Friday evening, uh, I, I come home from work, I, I'm checking the mail, and I have a letter and a check from the IRS. Um, and the check is for several thousand dollars. You know, saying you, you've made a mistake on your tax returns. It's an overpayment. Now, that's back in the day when I used to do my own taxes. Don't do that anymore. And I'm like, well, I, I guess it's it's possible, but it is unlikely that I would have made that mistake. So I then delayed dinner plans and spent the next couple hours, you know, going back and trying to figure out where the check had come from. And, and, and I figured out, yes, the IRS had made a mistake in processing my tax return. And it doesn't, you know, I don't get too far in the weeds, but, you know, they, they made a mistake in sending me this money back. Well, I guess I, I could have kept it, but first of all, I knew it wasn't mine. Um, and I, I knew I was right. They were wrong. They should have had the money. Secondly, I guess I was afraid that if I kept the money, what they would do is they would at some point in time realize they had made a mistake and then want the money back with interest and penalties and all those things. So I, I sent a notice into the IRS letter, my lawyer letter, explaining why actually they didn't owe me all that money. And in return, they audited me. Six months. I, I got audited. Thank, thank you for your note. We're giving, we're auditing you. And I got to send it. I'm like, I'm trying to give you this money back and you're, you're auditing me because I'm telling you that you don't think I, I'm telling you that I owe you more than you say I do. Got audited. Six months later, I get this letter. Matter of fact, I still kept it. It said, well, we've completed the audit and it, it, it's what I told them in the first place, but I went through this, this whole hassle. But I mean, the bottom line was, you know, under that circumstance, I, I didn't deserve the money. They had made a mistake, and I knew at some point in time that that even if even if I, I they didn't catch it, it's it still I I think it would have been reasonable to expect me to pay it back. And I know the IRS would have expected me to pay it back. I guess I kind of lump this into the same sort of situation uh, again. Hey, it, it's it's this windfall, and if there's fraud involved. I mean, that's a whole different conversation, of course. And if people are out there actively trying to deceive people with regard to unemployment and, and you you end up getting caught, you know, one of those situations where, for example, you get called back to work and you refuse to go and you still say that you haven't been called back and you fill out false forms, there's going to be a lot of people or at least a number of people who I think are caught in that in that, I think it's, you know, once things calm down a little bit, my guess is some of the investigators for like the, the unemployment system are going to go back and they're going to start finding that there have been people who've been ripping off the system by continuing to make unemployment claims when they really had jobs available to them. For, for those folks, no sympathy a, a, at all. I mean, that's fraud. More difficult situation for the people who did nothing wrong but were still overpaid. Nevertheless, I, I think you know, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the taxpayers. The efforts to collect, though, I do think need to be reasonable. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about Wauwatosa. We'll talk about the Milwaukee Police Department. And something is coming up in just a little less than three weeks that's going to affect each and every one of us. And it's not the election. Stick around.